Welcome to the other half of FIFO Life podcast. Join me on this awesome journey as we explore what FIFO Life looks like for the partners and families at home. In this positive space, no topics are off limits as we chat to experts in their field as well as the average person living their best other half of FIFO Life. So we're with the wonderful Sharon today. Um, when we're talking everything ADHD, um, now for some of you listening, you may um, have experience with this. If you don't and you're just wanting to listen in because maybe you know somebody or maybe it may pop up on your radar, this is still the podcast for you because Sharon knows all the aspects and we're going to cover as much as we possibly can um, in this tiny little, like we could do this like for 10 or more podcasts, um, but we're just going to cover everything that we possibly can in this one. And um, Sharon will jump on um, at the end and let us know how we can learn more if that's you. But Sharon, welcome. Thank you, Natalie. Um, I'm so happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey and about your your experience, please? Yes, thank you. So I married an incredible man and he has probably the most severe ADHD I've ever come across. Now, I'm an ADHD coach for a living, so you can imagine how severe that is on the spectrum of ADHD. Um, and we have three beautiful little boys and they all have ADHD. We've got some Tourette's, some ODD, some sensory processing disorders, some specific learning disorders in there as well. And when my first son was born, so this is going back, he's 14 now, so quite a number of years, uh, I knew straight away that he was a, like, he's a carbon copy of my husband, right? They're very, very similar. Very From very early on, we identified that he was probably going to have ADHD like my husband. We know it's genetic, um, 75%, uh, you know, largely genetic. And uh, we could really flag it quite early. And when we finally went through that formal diagnosis uh, process, we were given a photocopied pamphlet. And I can remember walking out of that appointment and our house was so chaotic and I was looking at this gorgeous little boy that needed so much support. And I had a photocopy pamphlet about ADHD and I was thinking, oh, my goodness, how on earth am I going to raise a functional human with this pamphlet? Like there was not much out there in the terms of information in those days. And um, so I just thought, no, I've got to, we've got to do better. We've got to do better for these families. And it has to be more than about supporting just the child. It has to be about supporting the whole family. Uh, and that's where the name The Functional Family was born, my company. Not, or it was almost called The Dysfunctional Family, if I'm going to be really honest. Uh, but I wanted to do better for these families and create a, some resources for the whole family unit and with a very much a, a priority on the practical because there was lots of psychological strategies, but I couldn't adopt any of those when, like, I had I couldn't get out of the, out the door on time and I couldn't do any of the actual um, living family life that we were expected to do. Uh, so that's where sort of my love of learning about ADHD, and it's been a long time, I've been studying it for a long time now, and also had that formal training um, to, you know, that really sparked my interest about ADHD. I, I'm fascinated by the ADHD brain and all my favourite people in the world have ADHD. So 
you know, I'm absolutely in the right place and interested in how their brain works. And I'm often just with my clients, just completely in awe of how their brain works. It's fascinating to me. And that's exactly the shift that I'm going to say is going to occur over time when people actually realize it's not a deficit. It's mm-hmm. not, it is, it is this amazing gift. We just need to understand it and, and work with it. Um, ask, and this is sort of out of interest. When you say the severe end, two questions I wanted to ask about your husband, if that's okay. One, mm-hmm. obviously he was an adult 14 years ago and what his journey, if, if he even had any insight, what his journey might have been, because I know that, well, our listeners are adults and quite often we only find out about our neurodivergent from going on that journey with our kids. So what was your husband's journey and what, and separate question, what is the severe end? Now, I understand that's different for everybody, but I just love to sort of understand that a little bit better for myself. Yeah, of course. So Basically, Anthony's journey, and it is quite a trauma-filled, sad journey. Like he grew up like me, eighties and nineties, and ADHD was that stereotypical naughty boy, right? So what we what we looked for and what we identified as ADHD was the naughty boy in the classroom, not sitting still, not doing the right thing, you know, a little bit aggressive, and that was very much how it played out for him. He has that stereotypical presentation. Uh, He was isolated socially. He was never invited to a birthday party because he was the naughty kid. He has memories of just constantly being sent out of the classroom for being disruptive Uh, and very much like I think his mum just every day after school used to sew the buttons back on his shirt that he used to get from fighting, you know, like constant uh, just trauma and being misunderstood. You know, he tells a story about getting in trouble in the classroom, like the, the people in his classmates reported back that he was in trouble and he wasn't even there that day. <laughs> you know, like they were like, Anthony, be quiet. And he was not even there. So he had that very much uh, what we would associate or that stereotypical view that it's now, now we know it's a bit outdated. Um, but for him, it definitely did play out in that way. He's very, very severe on the hyperactive, um, you know, what we would call presentation. Uh, and you can still see that today. You don't grow out of ADHD. You can learn ways of masking it. You can learn strategies to, to be able to handle it, but you definitely don't grow out of it. And he has two modes now and still always there's doing and asleep, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's wonderful as an adult. It actually is a great gift. He's got his own business. He is super successful um, and he's worked out a way to craft a life, including marrying an ADHD coach, which I think is his... <laughs> genius play of all although I wasn't an ADHD coach when we got married I shouldn't flag that it's a joke um but you know he's worked out a way of crafting his life to make it work for him and that is where I think the power is we don't all have to live exactly the same way you know like he's he's worked out a way of sort of carving it out and making it and making it suit him and I I really look forward to helping my boys do the same Um, now when we talk about severity ADHD is a spectrum you know, much like the ASD spectrum. So you can have a little bit of it or a lot of it. And we know there's three presentations recognised in Australia. There's inattentive, there's hyperactive or combined. Most people are the combined types. Uh, all, all my children are. But even within those three classifications, there's spectrums in all of them. So it's really quite interesting. And I, 
I always flag this with people to not assume that other people's ADHD is like their child's ADHD or like their ADHD. Everyone presents differently. And added to the fact that ADHD doesn't like to attend the party by itself, it likes to bring friends. And so there's comorbidities. So comorbidities can really shake it up. Like it's often dyslexia, dysgraphia, being gifted, um, Tourette's, you know, these are the things that come along with ADHD along for the ride a lot of the time. And so everyone has this real difference in terms of presentation and how they experience it. Um, and when I talk about the severe end, I'm definitely talking about the hyperactivity in Anthony's case. But for some people, it can be severe inattentive end or severe you know, like uh, there are other parts of their presentation that might be severe. Uh, but if you're talking about stereotypical, what we would have classified in the 90s as ADHD naughty boy, um, you know, we definitely have a poster child for that. And, and you know, that's the sad bit <laughs> for him. Yeah. And your gorgeous poster child, when did he get some knowledge around how amazing his brain was and that wasn't a deficit? Do you, was anyone talking about it when he was a kid or was it not until he was an adult? When did he actually get the, you know, quote, unquote, label of ADHD and start to his his um, understanding from that point? When did that happen for him? Well, he got diagnosed and, you know, this is quite remarkable for the age that we grew up in, but he got diagnosed at seven. Um, so that's wow. how severe it was, you know, and, okay. and so... He was diagnosed early. Um, now, his parents were at that stage not very um, open to medication because they didn't have the right information about it. Um, he does say now that he wish wishes he had been medicated. He feels like it would have given him a fairer shot. Um, but, yeah, he he wasn't he was treated he they didn't leave it they didn't not action it. They were very proactive, and they actually uh, did heavy duty occupational therapy with him wow that's and amazing. so yeah so even in the day they tried lots of diets and things like that um, but the most that they noticed was lots and lots of occupational therapy now he was a, able to offset it by always being incredibly physically active even in his jobs he's super super active um, and it wasn't until he was about 40 that his job changed for a period and he was expected to sit down and do a lot of desk work and a lot of plans and he couldn't cope and so he went back to a psychiatrist and actually got re-diagnosed um, at 40 and was experimenting with, you know, like different strategies to manage that at that stage. Really not for him. He's more of a doer. So he's gone back to being, you know, super active and, and running job sites and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but it was interesting that he that his parents were in the know enough yeah. to get that diagnosis even yeah. back then at the age of seven. And we are getting off track, but it's so fantastic. The other thing that I want to say is um, not to pre-frame this, but I'm assuming even with that diagnosis back then, it's not like what came with that was understanding and respect and flexibility by, by his teachers, by his peers, by parents or anything like that. It probably just gave the professionals and and your husband and and his parents a um a name and then and then what that meant from there um and that's what I want to get into because obviously your work is working um directly with the families but also you do a lot in shifting 
um, people's understanding and beliefs about it. So what are some of the misconceptions and myths that you still come up against? Because let's be honest, it is still there. It's a long way from where it was. Um, what's some of the things that you come up against um, currently that having this conversation for people that are listening be like, oh, yeah, I did think that meant X, Y, Z. What have you come up against? Oh, there's so many. I love this question. Thank you. Uh, so podcast just on this one. <laughs> <laughs> How long have we got? Yeah. Um, so really the the first misconception is that it's for little boys, right? So we know that it's it's absolutely not. Girls have ADHD <laughs> and it's chronically underdiagnosed. For boys, uh, and this is just a this is just a generalization. It can really, it does not apply to each individual, but um, you know, sometimes the boys tend to have that hyperactivity component a little bit more pronounced. For girls, they still have the hyperactivity component. It's just a hyperactive brain. So we see lots of anxiety symptoms and they often get misdiagnosed as anxious or anxiety or, you know, they come out with other, um, you know, symptoms of other conditions, but it's actually ADHD. And uh, so that's one of our first one. It's not just boys. It's boys and girls, women and men. You do not grow out of it. There's our second one. You don't grow out of ADHD. I always, every day someone says to me, oh, yeah, I had ADHD when I was at school. And I think, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't have ADHD at school. You don't grow out of it. You'd still have it now. Maybe maybe they are masking it or they've developed coping mechanisms or maybe they've got some really killer strategies, but you don't grow out of ADHD. It's a different brain it's a it's a neurotransmitter issue that you have you can develop neuropathways you can strengthen it you can have strategies you can work with it um but it is like just a different brain just like the it's not a pair of shorts you don't grow out of it it's it's you it's right um what else well that I love the other comment that people say to me a lot of the time um, oh everyone's a little bit ADHD these days is that (laughs) I feel like you're minimizing what they're going through and how hard they're having to work. Yeah. Um, so, or, you know, the other one that it's caused by sugar or colors. Um, now look, those things absolutely make ADHD symptoms worse. Okay. Yeah. They cut artificial colors, preservatives, sugar, look at the Southampton seven study. They make all behaviors worse, even in neurotypical children. Okay. Yeah. And same for ADHD, they make it worse, but they don't cause it. People already have, it's a genetic, you know, it comes down the line, ADHD, that's it's already there. Um, So these are often misconceptions about it. Um, And it's really great that we are, you know, we are are talking about these because every time someone hears it and they go, oh, I'll learn, you know, that changes their point of view about it. And that's the power of talking about it and opening communication uh, about ADHD. And that, and that, along the lines of the last one that you said, I think that something else, well, I know from my own personal experience where people say, oh, everyone has a bit of ADHD or, or those misconceptions is a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, when I grew up, no one had it. Oh, they're just putting labels on things. And it's like, well, actually, we all we had all these amazing brains in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. The difference is, is with research and science and understanding and studies we're actually starting to go well that naughty kid as you said 
isn't just a naughty kid, not that I believe there is anything yeah. just a naughty kid, but now we go, okay, well, all these traits and this is um, how that brain's functioning, which is creating that activity or, or whatever it may be, that that's probably one of my biggest things that from people that are old school um, and their misconceptions of, oh, they're just throwing these diagnoses around. Well, no, we're actually able to give a diagnosis and then the tools and the knowledge to people which you once didn't have. Um, and then I'm going to try and not get on my soapbox with this. But then the other aspect of it, of people saying, oh, well, yeah, but all the kids used to behave when we were younger. Yes, because quite often we used... Um, discipline tools that made children whether they had ADHD or not suppress and go within and then there's a whole negative narrative that comes out to that and what you know the type of work that you're doing is instead of making them to suppress to fit into a box we're going you're amazing and this is how you function and here's all the tools so that you can not just survive but you can live an amazing life with this knowledge about yourself and I think that you know so if anyone's listening to this and thinks oh well everyone's got ADHD well a lot of people do and that that wasn't around when you know those opportunities to learn that about yourself weren't around previously so it's amazing that your husband although I'm sure that didn't make it smooth sailing for him that he actually had that um, um, knowledge through his life. What are some really frequently asked questions to you um, by the general public, but also when people are um, getting in contact with you and starting this journey? What do you, um, what do a lot of people ask you? Oh, so in, in coaching, I guess the most common thing people would see me for is for executive function challenges. Now, people think of ADHD, and this is uh, another misconception, is that it's just a focus issue, right? So we can't focus, we're having trouble focusing, right? And it is, it's the it's a terrible branded name, ADHD. It's not a deficit. It's not, it's not a lack of attention. <laughs> uh, it's not an attention deficit. It is what people with ADHD can focus. They can actually focus incredibly well. They just can't choose what, what they're focusing on. Their brain is an interest and novelty-based brain. So they can focus on things that they are interested in or have novelty, like or new value. Um, so what they would generally come to me to work on is to build executive functions. So executive functions are things like focus, um, you know, things like uh, frustration tolerance, increasing their frustration tolerance, stress response. You know, these are the things that, um, you know, planning, forward planning, you know, those sorts of things that people can struggle with with ADHD. We know that that's a really common um, thing that people would come to me asking for help with. And it has, it has a way of creeping in into all areas of their life it's not a school issue it's everywhere right executive functions are your brain's kind of conductor in front of the orchestra um, that controls everything and so what or how I view executive functions are that they are a muscle that we can build them and how I view the ADHD brain my favorite psycho psychologist talks about this so I'm going to steal it for a second is she talks about it like you know at the start where Superman is uh, gets the, the the ability to do the wedding, right? And it's this incredible gift. Um, but at the start, he's really crap at it, and he just keeps webbing himself and getting in all sorts of all sorts of trouble. What I love to do, and how I view it, is that people with ADHD have an incredible gift. They have a powerful, powerful brain, but they need some tools to not 
tangle themselves in it. So they need some strategies to help use it to its best ability. So just like Superman, uh, not Superman, Spider-Man. Sorry, I hope you all followed that analogy. Just I like Spider-Man. Yeah, thank you. Sorry. Oh, too many superheroes. So just like Spider-Man had to go into the industrial area and practice the webbing, like practice his web gift, so do people with ADHD. They have to practice it. And the best thing about it is you have a coach or someone that you work with on executive functions. You practice it. You workshop it. You work on how you're going to roll it out. And they get stronger. Every time you do executive functions, um, you know, you, you, you have a strategy and you talk it out and you work on it, it gets stronger. Those neural pathways get stronger and, they be, and those things become easier for you. And I know for a lot of people with ADHD, they're verbal processes. So they need to talk it out to be able to understand it and work out how to uh, implement that in their life. So that would be a really common thing. Um, most people would come to me being they would be, like I would say pretty much all of my clients are incredibly intelligent. Like they would, their intelligence would outsmart me any day, right? But they have trouble doing life. It's like the adulting stuff, like getting to work on time, meal planning, um, you know, handling tricky conversations, um, receiving feedback, you know, th those sorts of things. The, the adulting stuff, uh, even though they are super, super highly intelligent and have these big engine sports car brains, that's what they need some help with. And this is the best bit because I look at all their strengths and uncover all the, their strengths together and we just pull those little strengths over to areas that they find challenging. And once they know what their strengths are and they know that everything is kind of figure outable, we can discuss it through together and come up with a bit of a plan. It's just so, it's like you can see the weight come off their shoulders and they're just freer and easier. And they know that there's things that come up and we can handle it together. And and because I think, as you said, like the weight off the shoulders, a lot of the time before they start having these healthy conversations, as you said, deficit, deficit, deficit is the language, the attitude. And sometimes um, if they don't have access to fantastic resources that's also their experience in people helping them is mm. treating them like a deficit mm. um and so that's yeah that's fantastic and I think once again we're probably going to overlap with this question but what are some of the important conversations that you think needs to start to happen or, or are happening and when I mean that I mean within schools because obviously we're talking about it but that that doesn't necessarily create the positive change and, and the important conversations that we need to have at a society level and sort of government, what, what do you think we need to start talking about and saying in this space? I think that we need to focus on strengths for starters. Like we need to stop having conversations that are negative about ADHD in front of our kids. In front, like, like, don't let the, like, don't let the, you know, people say, anything negative about it show them positive examples of successful people with ADHD there's plenty out there you only have to google celebrities or successful people with ADHD and you'll come up with a whole lot show your kids positive examples identify with your kids what their strengths are so when we're giving feedback really go into what what is good about that like how which bits they did easily like oh my gosh that you that was so great like look at how you did that like really amp up that praise we know that chronic self-esteem issues are synonymous with ADHD so we want to want to amp, amp that up a bit so focusing on the strengths the things that they're naturally great at 
Um, and of course, to really help, uh, and I think this is probably the long overdue part, is about really having some framework to help and, and some accommodations to help our beautiful people with ADHD succeed. We can't shame them into doing better in a world that's not built for them, right? So we have to give them a little bit of framework so that they can use their gifts and their incredible brains to better the world, right? Like they can. They're, they're, they're incredibly, incredibly intelligent, m m gifted people. Um, but we have to have those accommodations in place. Uh, so, you know, if someone's not doing well, instead of going like, oh, they're not doing well, they're not trying, they're lazy, all right, what can we do to make, like to set, to change the environment to help them do well? Yeah. That's the question. I wonder what's going on for them. What can we do to support them? It's just yeah. that change of, um, of, of what we're saying, our language um, and how we address the problem that, um, you know, the problems that that person's experiencing. Uh, which can help them feel supported and let them show us their true strengths. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, it, it all too often, particularly when we're dealing with our children, which if they are in the education system, it is it is constructed for a small percentage of people. And if you're at either ends of the whatever spectrum if you're not in that box that the education system's there for um then that's where quite often the negative narrative can come because they're not paying attention or because they're being too loud or because they're whatever and it's not the child like yes i uh, yes the executive function and some and some areas where they can grow that muscle and 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 use that skill but as a whole it's not actually the child that needs to change it's um the system and that's what as you said that's the amazing thing that you see when um someone that has adhd becomes an adult because then they can construct the world that works for them and they can live in the space and surround and do things that work for them and surround themselves in people so you know unfortunately that's we're not quite there for our children in the education system quite yet people like you are definitely making that happen um one other thing that I wanted to ask is, um, as you know, our listeners are fly and fly out partners. And it could be children, their children that have ADHD, it could be themselves, or it could be their partner that works away. Um, and there's a whole heap of challenges that can come up with the FIFO space. Obviously, for um, the children and sometimes the inconsistencies of the FIFO life. Um, if you're the partner at home and maybe you're not the um, on the side of executive function and the adulting, yet you're adulting, particularly if you're a parent, for a period of time all on your own. <laughs> um, and then the flip side, if um, your partner that is away is the one with ADHD and you know, when they're on site, they're working, they're working 12 hour days. In a lot of ways, that may be, you know, perfect for them. And then coming back and having that block of time and, you know, stepping into the adulting or even, you know, focusing that energy in a productive way. So many different angles, obviously, within the um, FIFO space, but, um, and so many questions, but what would you say as in like structure and uniformity, do, do people with ADHD tend to like a bit of set routine 
or are they more inclined to like the um, shift and changes that can sometimes come with that lifestyle? Or is there not necessarily a narrative either way? It can go either way in the way that what you would describe as routine and, you know, that consistency is a, is a tool of scaffolding, right? That's what we refer to as scaffolding um, in the way that, you, it's just so much easier for the brain if you can just turn it into autopilot mode. Like we all have habits. ADHD people are really great at recognizing patterns. Um, and, you know, even though we might have a feeling when we say the word habit or routine, like it's usually a negative feeling, um, it's still something that we do, whether we like it or not. We have we have them. Um, so it is, a, it is a strategy in terms of scaffolding, but having said that ADHD is situational and variable in the way that the fact that say if you're an ADHD partner who's coming in for a short time you know like they're, they're having their week off well that's got novelty doesn't it so you know like it, it depends on the individual and it is variable and what I would encourage people to do is to really think about what like taking a bit of a helicopter view of their family life right it's not important what my family's solutions are it's what's important for how your family wants to look and we can craft whatever works for your family uniquely so we look at what's working what's working what are the family's strengths where do as a family where do we shine what bits are awesome which bits have we got and there's always bits right <laughs> that that we that we do well in and which bits are really hard which bits are like I often watch for body language so which bits are the bits where we're guarding and we're a bit stressed and we're anticipating friction and what can we do about those moments as a family now I don't know about you but anyone with ADHD doesn't love being told what to do right I don't they don't love it they don't usually love it so we don't come in with these big like we're going to do this now and from now on we're going to do this we don't make these big grand announcements we collaborate so this is a really important part of a tool. I've got a resource for you at the end to help you do this. But if you've got members of your family that have ADHD, they have incredible brains that are like ideas factories. They're incredible for having ideas. So use it to your advantage and collaborate with them to make parts of your family life that are hard easier. We have to work together and you're teaching them problem solving. We want our kids, we want our partners to problem solve. We don't want to solve all their problems for them. We want to be there to support them, but we want them to problem solve themselves. And so we collaborate with them. We guide them through these processes and experiment. Now, I just, and a little bit of a side note for this, there is a tendency with ADHD to be, to do black or white thinking. So all or nothing approach, right? So when we try something and it doesn't work, we, or like, this is the problem of only coming up with one solution. You go, ah, it's ruined, right? It's ruined. We're, oh, we're good. We're bad. We're on, we're off. We're, you know, like uh, very, it's kind of an extreme way of thinking. We want to try and as a family, guide our family through coming up with solutions and collaborating through multiple solutions. We workshop multiple because we don't ever want for something to not work out and then them to go, no, nah, it's done, right? <laughs> it's not done. Things come up, we handle it. We handle it together as a family. We can figure it out together. Um, so really, if there's something that is hard and, you know, like keep life is hard, right? There's 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 changes that occur there. Um, but having a plan that works for you as a family, there's power in that. And also to lean heavily into visuals. So maybe you can show your kids the 
the, a calendar with when the partner is going to be home, um, what's happening this week, have, have those family meetings. We've got a resource for you for that as well to really maintain that connection, not just when everyone's home, but every week, you know, having those little moments of scaffolding. It doesn't mean your life has to be routine and structured all the time. <laughs> How awful. No one wants that. We just want for there to be little pockets of those consistencies. And we would call those anchors that help the ADHD brain that's, that, that spins around having those little moments of security, like a family meeting. Amazing. Thank you. And one other thing that I wanted, um, and this is from the perspective of the um, partner at home, so our listeners, um, regardless of whether your children are um, ADHD or not, there can be um, anxiety around bedtime, especially if you're the only parent. What are some, if any, um, issues that may come up around bedtime and obviously that amazing busy brain and as you said allowing it to switch on and off what are some of the um issues that may come up or some of the things that we need to work with that may come up and um just a couple little strategies that may be useful can you give some insight in that yeah so you're talking about just to clarify um you know kids that are going to bed and having struggles getting to sleep at night time and the yes. parents having that anxiety because yeah. it's a predictable problem, right? It's yes, because a lot of parents um, that are the um, stay, the home, not the one going away, um, there's a lot of uh, language around them being nervous about, you know, it's fine when you've got two parents and one can be with one child or, you know, one's whatever, and that doing that on your own and that obviously having a beautiful child with ADHD brain can add another element. So just some insight there I know would be really useful. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I guess my first thing would be to talk to your child about it, okay? So, like, I love to collaborate. So talk to them. Ask them why they think it's happening. If they're old enough, not always, you know, you have to start having these conversations. Why? And sometimes it can be things that we assume it's one thing and it's something completely different. They don't like that nightlight. They don't like, you know, like, listen to them because the why piece for ADHD is super important. We need to understand why and we need to listen. We need to not problem solve for them. We need to um, really be active listening. Uh, so ask them why if you can, if you can. Um, the next thing I'd be looking at is other things, like things that happen way before bedtime. So have they got enough um, nature time? We know kids with ADHD and ASD are really sensitive to the world, right? So we need, a, we need nature. We need outside. We need shoes off. We need sensory things. So I'd be looking at those things like maybe, and it doesn't have to be structured. Please don't think that we're saying we've got to do some sort of crazy obstacle course. We can just go for a walk on the way home from school or something like that. Um, just using those times out in nature sun nature can't best medicine ever <laughs> for sensitive kids okay for all kids but let's just amp it up for the for the sensitive ones and then you know there's other things that we could be looking at for bedtime and please know that this is a very broad answer because this is a yes. very there's a lot in this question um we i would be looking at something like we know that kids now i'm no naturopath but i know that kids with ADHD are usually chronically low on magnesium and zinc, right? So an easy way that we can help them with the magnesium component of that is an Epsom salt bath. So putting Epsom salts in their bath, letting them play in there for 20 minutes, absorb it through their skin, or uh, a magnesium cream on their legs to help just bring everything down a couple of notches. I love the EpiZen one. 
um, because it doesn't feel prickly. Some of them feel quite prickly, the magnesium creams, helping them support them that way in terms of regulating. Um, having a set bedtime routine to help them get now this would be a transition that we talk a lot with um, about ADHD having trouble with transitions so helping them signal that it is bedtime right we don't just spring it on them I view transitions like um, I've got all these weird analogies I'm, I apologize in advance um, that's <laughs> how I need my brain to remember them I picture a transition like hair growing out of our heads right and it wraps around whatever task they're doing. And when we ask them to swap, we need to allow time for that hair to grow back into their head, right? They need time for transitions and we need to be able to support them through that. So having like those clear, predictable cues that it is bedtime is coming up, um, which is really, really helpful. Um, and, you know, obviously these are the things that we want to talk to our kids about. Now, if you've got multiple children and they're all going off at one time, right, Usually I try and stagger it a little bit as much as I can because I've got three boys with ADHD and if I try and do it all at the same time, it's just it just doesn't go very well. <laughs> so staggering it, making it easier for yourself, putting people in different areas of the house if you can, if it's safe to do so, um, so that we're not, you know, uh, distracting everyone else. Um, but, you know, these are, the, these are sort of sort of basic tips and keeping things nice and consistent, as calm as possible, and watching our own energy, because this is what I do. Like this, I'm so guilty for this. I I love a bit of rushing energy, right? Because I'm a doer. So I'll go in and go, put pajamas on, blah, 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 blah. And what it what what shuts the brain, the ADHD brain faster than anything else is pressure. So I go in there with rushing energy. They meet me at rushing energy, and they're not gonna go to sleep when I've got rushing energy. I've got to slow it right down and this absolutely sucks for me because I'm not a slow person <laughs> I have to really regulate myself to help them regulate so that they can go off to sleep um, so whatever that looks like for your family and knowing that you know different ages bring different challenges okay is is okay but talking to your kids about it seeing what works seeing what they like to add in like don't, we don't want to discount what they suggest as a possible solution. We want to like work with them um, to make it easier for yourself. And knowing that some nights it might not work out, it might not be great, um, but, you know, the more consistent and the more supportive we can be of our beautiful kids in their brains, the, e the easier it gets as they get older, I can assure you. <laughs> I, I love it. I think that that's some absolute gold in that. And I think one of the things, and, and this is obviously my space a little bit and probably why I connect with it, but is that energy and about you showing up in that moment the way you want them to, like go there first. And as a parent in general, we can be so up in our own head in all the things that we've got to do that if if you, if all you do is go, this is my intention for bedtime, focus on that you know that it to be calm that it to be relaxing that it to be you know safe loving warm and then go in with that and that's what you'll create without even trying um but we all do as you said you're like okay I got to get the kids to bed because then I'm going to do this and this and this and they absolutely meet you there and then you wonder why they don't settle so some really uh, a lot of gold in that um 
This is going to be a really, really hard question for you. Um, so I'm going to try and narrow it down. I normally ask um, guests what's their one piece of advice, but because we're talking about individuals and we're talking about parents and we like, there's just so much, I'm going to narrow it down. What would be one piece of advice you would give to a parent starting their journey with ADHD for, for their, yeah, for their child that's got ADHD? I would say to oh, can I say two? I really yeah, go for two. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, such a rule breaker. Okay, so what I would say is to learn as much as you can about ADHD. That's my first piece, right? Because when we understand it, and there's so much power in it, and we when we understand it, we have so much more compassion for it. Okay, like I am always like secretly like in awe of the people that I work with and the kids that I work with because I feel like um their their brain's incredible and once we know what 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 it does and what the what uh ADHD means and how it shows up we have more compassion we have more compassion for ourselves we have more compassion for the person we have more compassion in general for a family and I always say like I don't care how my family looks like in the shopping center right like it's not it's not not great um you know even with even with a business like mine um so I, I just care how it feels on the inside that's the bit that I care about I just don't want to survive every day I want it to I want to enjoy my life with my kids and my husband uh, and that's that's the bit that's important to me um so learning about ADHD has helped me get there and I want people to do the same um, and you, you can do all this reading and sometimes when you know so much and you have an emotionally charged situation like I do with my kids all the time, you get paralysed by all that you know, right? So knowing about it is one aspect, but it's not the be-all and end-all because we have to know the practical strategies to, to do in the heat of the moment because especially when it's our own children, it's quite triggering. Yeah. <laughs> and so we need to not have those things to roll out, the things to that we know will work for our family. And in that respect, my second piece is about addressing those predictable problems. If you've got friction points in your family, if you've got problems that you come up with, the meltdowns are one thing, right? They're over here and they're distressing and we can we can do hard things for a short time, right? You know, they, they, they're, they're, they're one thing, but the things that really grind families down and suck our energy and suck our life force and stop us from being present parents and having the family life we want is predictable problems there those everyday little bits of friction that suck our life force right so we can't keep butting our heads against the brick wall of those we want to address the ones that we can address uh, and collaborate with our kids to come up with solutions to those and sometimes we're just so in the thick of it that we don't stop to think about which ones like what we could try what we can experiment with and we're so dead set on them being a success or the solution being a success that we get stuck right it's not it's not good or bad we are just experimenting we're experimenting and we'll use that information to work out it's just more information if it doesn't work we'll use it to work out what does work um, so addressing predictable problems is definitely my second one that is the biggest impact learning about ADHD and then addressing predictable problems as a family is my two uh, key takeaways of things that I want people to understand 
and and that's very much as you've sort of said that's very much at an individual level and so you can read all this and get so much advice but then actually sitting down and um looking at your family and making you know getting that then understanding and taking that into your family which leads perfectly into yes you can do this all on your own but it's very hard when you know you're starting that journey or you know it's it's not your area of expertise let's be honest um so if somebody is wanting to um first of all is there resources like government resources or anything like that and then if people are wanting to really take control over this beautiful journey how can they reach out and work with you so once again a two-part question there <laughs> um so in terms of government resources i mean you can you can google adhd and there's be a plethora of things yeah. um the one thing that i do want to flag is the benevolent society do do a three thousand dollar um respite grant so you can get some a pair of hands on the ground to help you um which not many people know about so it's probably worthwhile doing here if you've got a, a fifo family that the mum is burnt out like there is organizations that will do you have to do a bit of paperwork to get there but um like three thousand dollars worth of having a, a carer like an aide to come to and work with you Amazing. or work yeah. so you can have a break you know, take advantage of those things. Like we we want to try and look at what resources are available to us. Um, you know, obviously if you've got ASD level two or something, you might have NDIS access and that's awesome. Uh, but for a lot of the parents in ADHD space, they definitely do not. Um, and so we want to try and use the resources and and take the help where it is given. If someone offers to drive your kids to soccer, say yes, right? Like no no martyrs here, just take the help where it can get given. And then in terms of um, my resources, uh, what I do is I have um, a podcast with lots of free uh, tips and tricks. I've got a um, I've got a membership, a low cost membership where we tackle one thing a month. So we're tackling one area this this month. Um, we've been working on transitions, like the hair thing that I talked about, um, and making those easier for your family. I've got a six-week program that is aimed at uh, primary school children and setting up all that framework and scaffolding around, um, changing the environment to suit the ADHD brain. And I really want to look at that. I'm not interested in changing the ADHD brain, right? I think it's amazing. I don't think it needs changing. I think it's awesome. We just got to learn to strategies to for the person to work with it, like for their their advantage. Um, but what we can do quite easily is change the environment around them, around our home. Um, so there's it's simple things that make life easier. So that that program does that for you for primary school age. But then I also do parent mentoring one on one, and also adult ADHD coaching and teenage ADHD coaching. Um, so there's lots of different options there and the reason that I created those is I know there's different price points different time commitments um, where people can find the thing that suits them uh, the other thing that I should mention that we've talked about today is I've got that predictable problems worksheet for people um, to use so I've got a video in there that talks about how to use it I've got a little workbook um, so people can download that. Um, I'll, should I put a link in the show notes for that one? Yes, amazing. I'll pop them all in the show notes so that people yes. can jump on your website and go, okay, what what of that you offer meets my needs? Because obviously, as you said, it could be adult, teens, primary, and then the level of commitment um, 
that people have to put into it. And as you said, the membership, low-cost membership makes it amazing because it's that ongoing support. And sometimes, as you said, there is lots of therapies that go with this and there's not always the funding. So to give that option, um, that is absolutely amazing. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for today. I have actually, like, I've written down so many more questions. So um, we'll possibly uh, jump on and do this again. But I just wanted to say thank you so much. You do such amazing work and it really does change people's lives. Once, you know, that getting the diagnosis is just, you know, the first step. It's then going, well, how, what does that mean to me? And, and how do we navigate it from here? And that, Absolutely, I love that the narrative is that it's a positive because unfortunately, I think in the past it was the diagnosis then was um, quite emotional sometimes for parents um, because they think that it is a negative, whereas actually it's the start of something amazing and that there's now so many tools out there. So thank you for what you do and thank you so much for taking the time and having a chat to us today, Sharon. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Bye.